EM Guidewire, hard-hitting emergency medicine from Carolina's Medical Center. Hey gang, we're going to jump right into a new segment here at Guidewire where some of our newly minted residents will share insights and educational pearls from their unique vantage point in medicine. Today, Drs. Folk and Durba join us for some intern nuggets. As a warning, some medicine trade names were used in this recording, but their use does not represent our endorsement of these brands. What can I say? Even interns make mistakes. Now, over to Drs. Folk and Durba. This is Sophia Durba, PGY1. And this is Destiny Folk, PGY1. This week, we are starting a new intern-specific segment on the EM Guidewire podcast called Intern Nuggets. In each of these short, bonus episodes, new interns will discuss a few topics they recently learned about on shift. This week's episode of EM Guidewire is brought to you by Salmonella, which is brought to you by turtles. And by chickens. (laughs) I'd like to start by talking a little bit about the transition all of us interns have experienced this month. Dr. Durba and I have recently discussed how intern year has brought on a mix of emotions, excitement, anxiety, fear, confidence, frustration, and motivation, to name a few. At times over the next several months, we will all likely experience imposter syndrome as new interns. So I just want to take a moment and reassure all the new interns across the country listening to this podcast that you deserve to be the emergency physician you have worked tirelessly to become. You did not match into your residency by accident. You are here because you are smart, you are talented, and you earned this. That is such a great reminder. New interns, you are all competent, qualified, and you will continue to improve your skill set each and every shift. Dr. Folk, do you have any tips for addressing imposter syndrome and the mix of emotions that you mentioned interns commonly experience? I sure do. My biggest focus so far has been trying not to fall into the comparison game. Most doctors have a type A personality. We're naturally competitive and are used to being high achievers. Medical school and the residency match process can ingrain in us an urge to compare ourselves to our peers. However, it can be a cultural and emotional shock when brand new interns show up for their first shift and it seems like everyone, faculty, upper-level residents, nurses, and ancillary staff knows more than we do. As tempting as it may seem to be discouraged by this knowledge gap, it's important to not play this comparison game. The only comparison you should be making as an intern is comparing yourself at the beginning of your shift to the end of your shift. Take a pause at the end of every shift to think about the concrete knowledge that you built up, even writing it down in a journal if that helps you. For instance, my first shift, I left having learned about patients presenting with dizziness, a rare diagnosis called complex regional pain syndrome, and was able to complete my first infraorbital nerve block. Taking a moment to focus on the steady progress I'm making has made me leave each shift with a sense of accomplishment, and my knowledge base will only continue to grow throughout residency. I think that's some great advice, Dr. Folk. It's important to remember that not having complete knowledge of every topic in emergency medicine does not equal failure. You can't expect yourself to know how to do something that you've never been taught before. The true measure of success as an intern is building your knowledge base and applying that knowledge to future patients. That's a great point, Dr. Durba. I think by not allowing yourself to play the comparison game and taking time to focus on the progress you're making, we and other interns can fully realize that we deserve to be where we are and successfully combat imposter syndrome. I certainly found myself comparing myself to others my first few shifts and feeling like my medical knowledge was rusty, 
The EMR was impossible to navigate, and I was only slowing the team down. Give yourself a little grace, have empathy for yourself, and reach out to your co-residents when you need help or someone to talk to after a difficult shift. Thanks for sharing some tips for dealing with imposter syndrome. Now, we've had a few shifts. We've started caring for patients and putting in that scary first acetaminophen order. What else have you learned about this week? I saw a patient with a rare neuropathic pain condition called complex regional pain syndrome, or CRPS for short. CRP what? I think I missed that question on my step two practice tests. Can you tell us more about that, Dr. Folk? CRPS is usually preceded by a fracture, crush injury, sprain, or surgery. Patients often present with pain that is described as burning, stinging, and deep inside the limb. The symptoms usually develop four to six weeks after limb trauma. In addition to continued pain that is unexplained by the inciting event, patients will classically present with hyperesthesia, allodynia, reports of temperature asymmetry, skin color changes, edema, sweating, and decreased range of motion of the affected extremity. The differential diagnosis of CRPS includes a large number of conditions that have some of the clinical features of CRPS, including infection of the skin, joint or bone, compartment syndrome, DVT, and peripheral vascular disease. Interesting. How do you treat CRPS? Well, when patients present in the ED with CRPS, their main goal is usually to get their pain under better control. Pharmacologic treatment options include ibuprofen, naproxen, gabapentin, and lidocaine cream. NSAIDs are often used in the initial treatment of CRPS. A ketamine infusion is another option to consider if you don't have access to a sympathetic block and the patient doesn't respond to initial pharmacologic treatment. You should use opioids as a last resort. Since we're on the topic of pain medications, Dr. Durba, will you tell us what you learned about pain management this week? Sure. Pain control in some form is a treatment we give to almost every patient who comes through the ED. It's important to consider the type of pain your patient could be experiencing, whether that pain is acute or chronic, nociceptive or neuropathic, which further breaks down into somatic and visceral pain, central, peripheral, or sympathetically mediated pain. And when you look at the physiology of your C-fibers... Whoa, whoa. Hang on. Do I really need to be thinking about how my patient's nociceptors are transmitting a pain signal before I place an order for pain meds? You're right, Dr. Folk. I'm just kidding. I'm still at the stage where I'm wondering if I should be ordering LFTs first and stressing over whether it's really safe to hit sign on my acetaminophen order. One important thing I will mention that we learned about types of pain is that anxiety can play a huge role in a patient's pain. And although as interns we don't have each medication, dose, and side effect memorized, one of the most important things we can continue to do is practice empathy and reassurance with our patients. That's a great point. Even though this is our day-to-day job, we're seeing people on some of the worst days of their lives, and our communication and rapport with the patient is still one of the most important tools we have as residents. That's right. Now, let's move on to some of the modalities of pain control we can use. 650 milligrams of acetaminophen, 600 milligrams of ibuprofen, and 15 milligrams of Tordal are a common first choice. And I'm sure we're all familiar with these medications in adults, but I still get mixed up with pediatric doses. Kids can get 15 mg per gig of acetaminophen, 10 mg per gig of ibuprofen if the patient is over 6 months old, and 0.5 mg per gig of Tordal if they're at least 3 months old. Other pain control options include muscle relaxants like baclofen, cyclobenzaprine, and methocarbamol. Just remember that these can make your patient drowsy. Other useful options, depending on your patient's type of pain, include pain-dose ketamine, draperidol, Haldol and topical capsaicin cream applied to the patient's abdomen for cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, 
a GI cocktail with malox, famotidine, and viscous lidocaine for dyspepsia or epigastric pain, phenazopyridine for urinary pain, sumatriptan early in migraine, and hyoscyamine in IBS. And then finally, if your patient still has moderate to severe pain, you can use opioids. These include IV morphine, Dilaudid, and fentanyl, as well as oral oxycodone and hydrocodone. In adults, IV typical doses are 0.1 mg per kg for morphine, with a max dose of 10 mg every 4 hours, 0.5 to 1 mg every 2 to 3 hours for Dilaudid, and 50 to 150 mics of fentanyl every 1 to 2 hours. Oxycodone and hydrocodone doses start at 5 to 10 mg PO in adults. You mentioned side effects like drowsiness with muscle relaxants. What are some other side effects we should be aware of? If you're treating a hypotensive patient with opioids, you might want to stay away from morphine. It can cause a histamine release, which can lead to worsening hypotension. Dilaudid can also cause some hypotension through a different mechanism, although it's not as severe. Fentanyl tends to be the first choice of opioid analgesic and is commonly used for hypotensive trauma patients. Avoid ketamine in patients with known or suspected schizophrenia, even if it's well-controlled. And lastly, don't forget to ask your patients about allergies before prescribing pain medications. What if I've tried multiple pain medications and my patient with an open tib-fib fracture is still in a lot of pain? Well, Dr. Folk, I've been told to learn my nerve blocks. I can confidently say that I am absolutely not yet confident about performing some regional nerve blocks. But this is high on my priority list to practice because regional nerve blocks can provide excellent pain control for fractures, wounds, and other localized injuries. Performing a regional nerve block often can also achieve better anesthesia with the use of less anesthetic and fewer pokes to your patient than trying to infiltrate a large wound. Lidocaine, lidocaine with epi, which you should almost always be using, and the longer-acting bupivacaine are common agents. Don't forget to check that you don't exceed 4.5 mg per kg per dose of lidocaine or 7 mg per kg of lidocaine with epi. Now, say you're infiltrating a huge wound with lidocaine and your patient says their mouth feels funny, they have a metallic taste, and they're experiencing muscle twitching. Immediately, you should stop injecting lidocaine as these could be early signs of lidocaine toxicity, which could progress to seizure or coma. The mainstay of treatment for lidocaine toxicity is lipid emulsion therapy. A common topical anesthesia option is LET. LET is especially great for pediatric patients and things like facial lacerations because it can be used on open wounds. If you want to learn more about pain management, check out the podcast called Pain Management and REDs, published on April 16, 2018. Well, that's all we've got for you today. Thanks for listening to us here at the J. Lee Garvey Studio at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina please check out our other podcasts and imaging series. Sweet. We did our first podcast, Dr. Durba. Woo! We'll be back for some more intern nuggets soon. Interns, remember that imposter syndrome hits us all at different times and in different ways, but you are all talented clinicians and you are exactly where you are meant to be. Thanks for listening to EM Guidewire. Go! Be awesome today! Seems he out. It's real. We're doing it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and they're experiencing. <laughs> Your laugh. Your laugh was so great. <laughs> Here we go.
go. Oh, we, we, we got it. We got the point where I can't talk anymore. I messed up first. <laughs> we were on a roll. Yeah, I, I really like your shirt, by the way. That is a very nice color shirt. Thank you. Angela told me that this shirt looks like me. She said it this does. Thing. That shirt looks very <laughs> like you, Destiny. That's what she told me. Ah, <laughs> uh, <sighs> all right. Ready to do this thing? Peace out. <laughs>